Countdown for blast off. X minus five, four, three, two, X minus one, fire. Another episode of the Forgot My Dice podcast. As always, I am your host, Jonathan Edwards, and with me, of course, the most recent apocalypse to my long-running fantasy world, Mr. Robert Lundgren. How you doing? Hello, hello. I'm good, I'm good. How are you? I am, uh... Yeah, I'm surviving, buddy. It's been one of those weeks. <laughs> At least we're recording on the right day. We haven't been able to pull that off in a month. Yeah. I had a recent ill day, didn't feel all that great, haven't quite felt 100% since then, so, uh, you know, what are you going to do? It is what it is. Mm, 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 mm. Surviving, surviving. <laughs> but you know what they say, seven days without a pun makes one weak. I was going to go with, uh, first, you were afraid? You were petrified? I was petrified. Yeah. Yeah, I feel you. I don't know any other line from that song, except the next verse, or the next line ends with, by my side. by my side well before we go spinning out of control into uh classic 70s disco songs i did want to of course send out a massive thank you to our patrons over at patreon you guys are helping us keep the lights on and keep this non-stop chaos in motion non-stop chaos i was just gonna go with dog and pony show dog and pony show works as well chaotic dog and pony show how's that a little bit of both worlds i'll take it all right then now while we're on the subject of our patrons over at patreon of course we are trying to make some cool uh patreon only content we did manage to make an entire dialogue track for a movie in the past and we are looking at doing that again because we we had quite a lot of fun with that yeah yes we did yes we did and if you haven't heard it yet watch bright on netflix with our commentary track i can't guarantee you're always going to be amused but you're always going to be amused. Sixty <laughs> percent of the time, it works. It works a hundred percent of the time. That's right. That's right. <laughs> that's, that's that's pretty much our life goal here. <laughs> Forgot my dice podcast. It's to work a hundred percent of the time, sixty percent of the time. <laughs> so, if you've got any movies that you are uh, interested in uh, having us do commentary for, please, please let us know. Anything on Netflix or Amazon will do, and preferably something original so it doesn't go away, but we'll do anything. It doesn't matter. Who cares? Just something currently on Netflix or Amazon. I'll I'll, I'll throw that down. All right. Well, while we try and figure out what movie we're going to do commentary for, uh, it's exciting. We have both realized recently that we are coming up on episode 50, which is kind of a milestone. That's a big deal. It's like not an anniversary. It's one of those number things, but numbers are greater than anniversaries. Because who cares about a year or two years? Because it's already been two years. But yeah, 50, man. 50. That's badass. Well, I mean, just it shows that we are capable of holding on to this idea for at least 50 episodes. That is kind of remarkable when you really stop and think about it. Yeah, yeah. What do you think that translates to? That's like at least 600 man hours. Uh, Maybe more. I have no idea. I haven't really thought about how much. Because it used to take us a lot longer to produce an episode. And then we kind of got our workflow down. No, we've got our workflow down down well, but I mean, there's there's also all the uh, gameplay that we have to do to kind of support our content. Oh yeah, that gameplay we have to do to support yeah, our content. Man, that's oh, that's, that's the way I always tell so my wife. You know, I'm rough. like, honey, 
honey, I need to go to board game night. If I don't go to board game night, I'm going to have nothing to talk about. It's so rough. It's such a sacrifice. Welcome to the Forgot My Dice podcast. What did you do this week, Robert? Absolutely nothing. How about you, Jonathan? Not a damn thing. (laughs) All right. Good talk. It's been a fantastic 30 seconds of off the shelf. Back to Wisdom of Crowds. Have you looked at the internet? No, I have not. Neither have I. All right. Excellent. Show's over. That's actually been my last week, but we can get to that in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> wah, wah, wah. Uh, I I have uh, I have been in bed with another mistress, but we will we will we will get to that. Uh, but yes. Oh, I know you have. I've barely heard from you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway, we'll get to that. So yeah, uh, the big five zero is coming up. We were thinking about what we could do that's special, and we kept threatening that we should uh, answer more questions, like wacky questions, and devote a segment to that. So I think that will be. At least a segment, maybe our deep dive, maybe not. We'll see what we actually play around fifty. That because if we have to, if we have to do something, we'll just you know skip the news. I don't know what we'll do. And if we get so many questions, maybe we'll have to do the whole run. Who knows? The point is, there's a thread on the Facebook page, or at least there will be by the time you hear this. Or if I'm still neck deep in why I haven't done anything for the past week, like yell at me and I'll make it. <laughs> and and <laughs> send Jonathan. us many questions, all of the questions, or silly. Or force us to come up with rules for uh, Carcasside. See, Jonathan, that would be a callback to our previous episode where we mashed up Carcassonne and Zombicide together. And you actually oh, coined that right. term, that's and you're just blanking Carcasside. right now. Yeah, I did, totally did blank. That, that's that's a legitimate statement. That is a legitimate statement. Wow. You, you are, like, off your game right now. I am. I'm, I'm spicy and exhausted at the same time. Spicy. That is the word I was looking to describe you. Yeah. There you go. A little spice. The spice must flow. No, no Dune. No Dune. And if, if you're going to quote Dune, there, there are two quotes that are appropriate. One is that you will bend like a leaf in the wind. And two is, I will not fear, fear is the mind killer. Or he is the Cuisinart hat rack. That is acceptable as well. <laughs> what is it that Alicia Witt says? when Because you, you know that's Alicia Witt, right? The little girl in the Dune movie? Yes. Yes, I totally knew that. Yeah. Uh, what is it? Here's the Cuisinart hat rack. Yeah, he's the Cuisinart hat rack. That's what she totally says. <laughs> Put that sucker on puree. We're going to make a million dollars. Well, as always, it is time for us to get this show on the road. So let's get started with our off-the-shelf segment, our segment where we talk about all the fun stuff that we've had off the shelf and on our tables. So, Robert... We'll save the big one for last. But you started assembling a giant dragon. I did. I did. And I couldn't find my copper rod, so I couldn't put her wings on because I've read a few things on the internet that people go like, I wish I'd shoved rods down her wings, I guess. I like what you call her. Yeah, Tia Nod. It's, t- it's not Tia Matt because that, the five-headed chromatic dragon mother. Nope. So much copyright. So much copyright by, by Dungeons and Dragons. This is Reaper's Bones five-headed Dragon. Totally not Tiamat. Totally Tiamat. not Tiamat. So it's Tiamat. That's that's her Tiamat. nickname instead of Malaga Drakar, who's got bless you. Yeah, yeah. It's there, there, there's some little paragraph about it. I'm about five headed dragon guy. Whatever. It's Tiamat. Whatever. But yeah, I started assembling. I, I actually completed assembling it. I just need to get the wings on. I, I I'm looking for my copper rods. I I still haven't torn apart my garage yet because I was going to do that, and then you know Tuesday happened. Actually Monday evening. But we'll get to that in a minute. Well, cool, cool, cool. I have finally decided on a on a paint scheme for my protectors model. Oh, nice. I have decided to uh, kind of uh, mix the streams, so to speak, and I'm going to give him a, a Space Marine paint job because I think that he's going to look so, so good with that, that really pretty blue that the Space Marines wear and then do all the gold highlights and stuff. 
Nice. Yeah, I think I think it'll end up looking cool, and it'll kind of make me giggle a little bit every time I look at him. I like it. I like it. I was looking at the Monster Apocalypse wiki, and I realized what faction I I need them to put in. Totally not Godzilla. No, no, no. Godzilla not. The the pterosaurs. No, they they are putting those in. Those were the original six releases. I sent you some pictures today. I know they're they're quite good. How they're good quite, does that model look? By the th- way, that model looks amazing. It's totally not Godzilla. Yeah, totally not Godzilla. If, if if you're curious what we're talking about, we are talking about, of course, Monster Apocalypse, which we talked about on the show before, but um, they have some new models coming out beyond the starter sets, and I just happen to be texting Robert many, many images of these happy-looking models today. Yep, yep, yep. The faction, the other faction I really liked from them uh, isn't in the game yet. probably won't be for a while because they added in six new factions uh, in the original run, kind of like later in the original run. So there's one called Ubercorp. And their big deal was they had mecha versions of other people's biological stuff. So they had like a... Oh, cool. They, they had a mecha Godzilla, basically. But they also had like a mecha Cthulhu and a mecha King Kong. And there were a bunch of mecha versions of everything. And I'm like, oh, that's that's too cool. So I need that I need that in my life as well. But, you know, I mean, Godzilla will do. And, and you want to hear something rad? I was looking through the same wiki. And you know what they had in a later set? They had something that was totally not uh, Rodan. Of course not. Yeah. Totally not. Totally not Rodan. But yeah, it was Rodan. It's going to be awesome. Yes, you can relive with the Terranauts and the, I don't even know what, but yeah, we can, you could paint like Rodan in the new movie where he's like got lava in him. Oh, that'll be fun. That'll be fun. I can't wait. Nice. I like that. That's good stuff. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that game. Hopefully they play it around here. There's a game store close, but, you know, you, you know how it is. If, if you can't get a couple people into it, it's just not going to go anywhere. True that, true that, true that. Well, let's get let's get the little stuff out of the way. Okay. Uh, movies and TV. Yep. Yes, they exist. I know they exist. Not trying to confirm it. What have you been watching on? Have you watched anything? Uh, I have, actually. I have been continuing my run through Star Trek, The Next Generation. Nice. I have now completed uh, Season 5, and I'm halfway through Season 6, which means... I'm now officially sprinkling in, according to Stardate, the uh, Deep Space Nine episodes. Nice. I envy you. I have not worked on that at all. Let me tell you, a couple, th- couple things I've noticed. I- I've watched Star Trek on and off my entire life, right? And it was a huge part of my childhood. But this is the first time I've sat down and watched them and, and actually kind of paid attention to what's going on as-, as an adult and a parent. Right. And that's kind of the major distinction there. Because let me tell you. Next Generation, so far ahead of its time. <laughs> How so? This was back in the late 80s and early 90s. They were having uh, conversations about uh, gender and what it means to have a gender and, and have, you know, basically like uh, they, they come across this race that is genderless. But some of the members of the race start identifying with a specific gender and then they get reassigned by their um, by the other people on the on the planet. Like, that's intense stuff, man. That's stuff that we're only just now tackling as a society. Wait wait a minute, Jonathan. Are you telling me that Star Trek is handling deep social commentary uh, beneath a thin veneer of science fiction and Western I, tropes? I have always, always known that to be true. I just didn't realize how deep they cut. They didn't do it quite as much as the original series. But then again, the original series probably, they didn't have the effects to do cool stuff. So they had to, like, you know go on the ideas more than the 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 flash but yeah 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 no yeah ds9 or not ds9 tng went there a couple times oh yeah no regularly regularly especially in seasons five and six 
Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, I just one of the the last things I watched totally tackles the whole concept of consent and sexual harassment. And it's like, wow, you, this would be appropriate to be on TV now. Yeah, considering Riker's on the crew, geez. You know, uh, it, what's interesting, I'm also noticing the characterizations, and a lot of this is because I'm back-to-back-to-back-to-backing them, you know? Yeah. But the major, major thing that I notice here that so many TV shows these days forget to do is that the characters actually do evolve and change, and they are self-referential to their past in, in a really interesting way. These, these That's what makes them feel like living people is that they're changing and evolving based on their experiences. It's really neat. Except when Picard gets brain probed by an alien satellite and spends his entire life as a guy on an alien planet and has a family and then wakes up back on the bridge after 70 years. Yeah, it's so weird. <laughs> that one, not so much. It's still a great episode. It's a great episode, but it's totally out of the, the flow of the, the, the series at that time. You know why it happened? Because they, they needed an episode where they didn't have the entire cast. No, no, actually, they didn't. It was late in the season, and uh, they were tired, and they were writing their hearts out trying to finish everything up, and they did that, and they just didn't think about it. Somebody had this, like, what if what if Picard lived his entire life and had a family and then woke up back on the bridge? And they're like, yeah, that's great. Let's just do it. <laughs> and they, they just didn't even think about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's the end of season. In fact, I think that was the last uh, episode of season five, if I remember correct. The Inner Light. Yeah, the Inner Light. It's near the end. I don't, I don't remember where uh, it is. But yeah. No, no, it's not quite, because then they had the two-part uh, season bridger. Yeah, exactly. Times Arrow. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, yeah, they were just they were just tired and they didn't think about it. And that's why it comes up again in season six, because when that episode aired, they started getting feedback from it. And, you know, by then they were already kind of deep into season six and, and people were like, dude, holy like that was traumatic. Like, you know, Borg schmorg like that would mess with you. And, and, and they start thinking about it. Like, you know, you're right. That'd be kind of messed up if it happened to you. <laughs> and so they they wrote the pseudo sequel where Picard falls in love with that lady with the fold out piano. Mm-hmm. And then they, they started playing. uh Chopsticks, right? I forget what they were playing on the uh, on the floor. Yeah, the Toy Story, the FAO Schwartz. No, no, no. That's that's big. It's the fold up piano, and they're up in the Jeffries tubes, and there's the good harmonics because she figured out exactly where it was. Oh, that's right. They crawl into the tube. That's right. now I remember it. Yeah. Oh God, I'm not looking forward to that one. That one was terrible. That one's awesome. It's so sweet. Oh, oh. maybe I'm not remembering it correctly. You're not. It's a good episode. Well, I I, I will report back when I get there. But now I've officially started. Uh, Deep Space Nine as well. Mm-hmm. And, uh, whoo, man, those first few episodes are a little rough. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, but but I, keep, I keep reminding myself, um, yeah, so was the first couple seasons of Star Trek Next Generation. Like, if, if Next Generation had been launched in 2018, it would never have gotten past its first season because it would have been canceled after five episodes. Oh, my God, it would have been terrible. Well, it was syndicated, so it, it didn't matter. But I don't think it would have gotten picked up. The companies these days are just so much more ruthless. They're, they're not willing to let a, a TV show find its legs. It's either instant hit or gone. Since everything's gone to streaming, it's gotten a little weird. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're, they're redefining the model, for sure. Yeah, they, they totally But I, I, the, the point of this whole thing is I'm, I'm continuing my exploration of Star Trek. I'm having a great time, and it's been really, really good so far. Nice, nice. Well, on my end, I haven't watched much. But uh, I did continue to introduce the, uh, the daughter to the classics, and we went to the local library because the Hillsborough Library is excellent, and we rented Mary Poppins. There you go. That's, that is a classic. 
Dick Van Dyke, uh, always good, no matter what he did. All always just a lovely person. I will disagree. His Cockney is terrible, but he is still. Oh, I never said he nailed the accent. I just said he's just he's fun. He's he's a good dancer and he's got a great singing voice. That is true. But it was it was kind of funny. My daughter was not into the idea of watching Mary Poppins that much. She was kind of like, oh, can we do something else? I'm like, you're going to like this. Trust me. And she kind of had that like indignant kid thing of like, whatever you say, old man. I don't have. And then she was like, Mary Poppins showed up and she's like, how is she flying? I'm like, she's magic. And, you know, she's a magic house, uh, magic nanny, Eowyn. And, and she's like, oh, she's magic. And I'm like, ah, it sucked her in. Good. Good. <laughs> yeah. That Disney magic, man. You can't, you can't. Uh, deny it for long and then i said you know they're making a sequel it's gonna be out sometime this year and she's like oh, can we go see that and i'm like yeah at the very least i'll send uh, mom and anyone out to see it because uh me and her already got a date for godzilla king of the monsters oh, oh so excited about that. <laughs> yes so excited about oh that. it's so good to have children because my wife she tolerates godzilla movies sometimes but i'm like i want to go see this in the theater she's like yeah why don't you take the daughter with you? And I'm like, yes, yes, I will. <laughs> and she'll yeah. love it because Eleven's in it or Millie, Millie Brown, is that her name? Whatever. Eleven from Stranger Things is in it. She'll love it. Yeah, I'm way looking forward to that movie. And the first trailers look awesome. Let me tell you, that shot when Godzilla comes out of the water and roars and does the atomic breath into the sky. Yeah. It looks like it's going to be a total monster flick. There's going to be monsters warring. There's going to be cities destroyed. I mean, really, you had me at hello. Millie Bobby Brown, by the way. Millie. That's the actress's name. Yeah. Whatever. She's amazing. And I love it because Ken Watanabe is coming back and he's one of my faves. Yep, yep, yep. And he had the best line in the first one. <laughs> Let them fight. Yes! That's exactly what we're going to do. When he said, when I was watching that movie for the first time and he says that, I, I just, I cheered out loud and threw my hands up. I'm like, it's time! <laughs> I get so excited about a good monster movie, man. By the way, people out there, PSA, we're going to go there again because this is the thing that hates I hate most of all. I hate it when randos on the internet just take a dump on that movie and they say Godzilla was barely in it. He wasn't in that movie at all. There are several, several Godzilla movies where Godzilla was in the movie less than that one, where he was the only thing in the movie, no less, because the original 1954 movie, there was less Godzilla in that than there was in the most recent one. And I that thought was, that that's what they were trying to accomplish. I, I always took it as a, 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 a callback to the original, because that's what it felt like. But, but again, he fought another monster. There were other monsters in that movie, which means our total monster screen time was actually pretty good if you add them all together. But yes, Godzilla was in that movie more than the original Godzilla. So don't say he wasn't in that movie enough and that that's not how Godzilla movies are. That is how they are. I think I, it, it is low of all the Godzilla movies. I think it's in the bottom five, but still. Tell I'm it on saying. the mountain. Yes. Okay. I'm done. I'm Preach. done. Mary Poppins. Mary Poppins. I'm with you. Mary Poppins was good. Mary Poppins needs more Godzilla. Mary Poppins would wreck Godzilla. Are you kidding me? She'd just like bamf him into a painting. I'd pay to watch that, though. I would pay to watch that. <laughs> so, jo Jonathan, Jonathan, you been reading anything, Home Skillet? Uh, no, I haven't had a chance to read a bloody thing in these last couple of weeks. It's been very, very busy. How about you? I finished up The Art of Dominaria, but we'll talk about that later. All right. All right. Good stuff. Good stuff. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. RPGs? I played another session of our Eberron game, and I redid my character into Watsy's Artificer, and uh, we made up a path for him so he can down the mutagens and turn into a, a hide-like character. 
The Watsi Artificer class is weird because all of the combat abilities the class gets comes out of their specialization. It's not baked into the class. Like the class itself is just kind of this general thing. And then however it is they use to like whoop on things, that's in the specialization. Yeah. But that's fun. D&D is fun. I miss D&D. I do too. I do too. I sent off an email to Pelgrain Press. They're asking for playtesters for their new edition of Mutant City Blues. So we may run a quick sort of one shot on that to help them playtest that because they want it done by like October. So I'll put a link to that in the show notes, I guess. I don't even know if it'll still be active. Do you know what Mutant City Blues is? No, I haven't heard of this one. Okay, so it's a gumshoe game. The game's history starts like tomorrow. And basically tomorrow, uh, a virus hits that kills a bunch of people, but the people who survive it get superpowers, right? And then the game picks up 10 years later, so right now it would be 2028, you know, the near future. And you, the base game and the first edition of the game, uh, you're a member of kind of the superpowered crime unit, and you go and you solve superpowered crime, and you you have superpowers yourself. Uh, The second edition, because they love Jessica Jones so much, they're going to add in uh, the police mode and the private detective mode and so that'll be what the second edition of mutant city blues is about nice yeah hopefully we can uh hopefully we can play test that we'll see what happens let's talk about video games played a little bit of mass effect andromeda um still working through that very slowly i don't know why i got out of it i think honestly i think something else must have come out and got me distracted but i've picked it back up and i'm i'm engaged and and working my way through slowly but more importantly the Battlefield 5 beta came out, and I have dedicated a ridiculous amount of time to that. So this is World War II French Resistance, if I remember correctly? It's World War II in general. Okay. Uh, yeah, you, you do some French Resistance, but you're also playing as soldiers as well. Okay. But let me tell you, it is so dynamic and so much fun. And if you're curious what it looks like, I've captured a few things from my multiplayer sessions Go to xbox.com, find Mujin Puppy, that's my gamertag name, and look at some of my captures. It's ridiculous! At one point, this guy ran into this house after I shot his little buddy. So um, I fired a grenade through the, through the uh, front window, and all of a sudden the front wall of the house exploded out. But I didn't get him, so I fired another one in, causing more havoc, but I didn't get him. Then I go around the side of the house, and he's sitting there trying to revive his buddy. Uh-uh, we're not going to have any of that. So I threw some TNT and blew it up and blew the entire side of the house down on him. <laughs> and all this is just destructible and wreckable and huge. And uh, it's got this new thing in multiplayer where you, when you're working together with your squad, everybody is scoring points, right? Yeah. And the squad leader gets an opportunity after you uh, rack up a bunch of points to spend those. And you can spend those on like an airdrop for uh, a high-powered weapon. Or you can do uh, you can call in a, a tank a little earlier than you would normally out of out of the spawn rotation, or you can call in a, the the World War II equivalent equivalent of a cruise missile, a JB two rocket. Ah. and this thing comes in and it's got the most terrifying sound because it's a it's it's a, a old jet engine. Yeah, and then it just comes in out of nowhere and it basically forms a humongous explosion. I mean, just one of the biggest explosions I've ever seen in a video game. It's so good. <laughs> nice. It's it's only been out for a couple of days and I think it ends tomorrow, which makes me totally sad, but Battlefield 5, oh man, the multiplayer is so good. So good. Not looking forward to November cuz I'm going to fall off the face of the planet warning you now. Yeah, yeah. That's me. That's me right now. I know, because you've been playing 
Your mistress. Yes, yes. You need to get over that mistress because I never get to talk to you anymore, and I'm done with her. She's gone. She's <laughs> out, of, out of the picture. Kick her to the curb. We're talking about Dragon Quest Eleven, Echoes of an Elusive Age. Oh, my gosh. It's so good, Jonathan. It's so... Well, okay, okay, okay. Your mileage may vary on this game. It's really weird. It looks really pretty. It looks like, you know, a AAA 2018 title. The problem is it plays like an old NES Dragon Warrior game in a lot of ways and in a little, a few too many, because they have this like notion that some of the holy cows uh, that make a Dragon Quest game Dragon Questy are kind of those old limitations of cartridges back in the day. And it's like, no, guys, no, 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 no. Dragon Quest games are all about like the vibe. You could have the vibe and you could clean up some of this, you know, anachronistic stuff or this, you know, old timey mechanics from back in the day. But oh, it's so good, Jonathan. Yeah. It's so, so good. The Every story... time I talk to you about it, you you do seem to be having fun. Yeah. Oh, the story's just ridiculous and it's fun. What's really nice about it is I tell people who like Dragon Ball Z that the guy who did all the art for Dragon Ball Z does the art for Dragon Quest games as well. And they kind of just go like, oh, ho, hum. And but this game's in uh, 3D, so there's quite a few times where the Dragon Ball Zness of it, so to speak, kind of comes out, you know, because your guys have um, these ultimate abilities that pop up from time to time, and they're called pep, which is the dumbest word. It's like your pep abilities activate, and you know what it was called in the Japanese release? It translates roughly to the zone, and I'm like, the zone would have been way cooler than pep. You're in the zone. You're in the zone. That's 90s. That's extreme. It's better than Pep. It's better yeah, than Yeah, I'm going to have to give you that one. Pep yeah. is terrible. Basically, what happens is uh, the, when you level up your character, you get skill points, and there's like talent trees and whatnot. And as you unlock certain abilities, sometimes Pep, I'm just going to call it the zone because it's cooler. Zone abilities open up. You know, and those are fine because if your character gets a zone ability, they basically get an attack where they, they do a little bit of extra damage. But the trick is if multiple party members are in the zone at the same time, they can combo those powers together and you get like different animations between the two of them. For example, there is a, a lady named Jade who's like a martial artist and there's a guy named Rab who's basically her grandfather. It's, it's complicated. And so what he does is he has a spell called Zam, where he makes this like ball of darkness energy and he Zam. throws it. Zam. Yeah, and the better version of it's called Zammy. So anyway. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, Zam it. Yeah. So he casts Zam and then he lobs Zam at Jade and then Jade kicks it back like a hacky sack. And then they spend like a good couple of beats kicking the Zam back and forth like a hacky sack between the two of them. And then Rab, you know, grandfather, portly grandfather Rab eats it. And then he turns towards the camera and opens his mouth and his eyes are glowing blue. And then like a Godzilla cone of atomic fire, like from uh, from Shin Godzilla, because it's kind of purple, like flies out of his mouth at the bad guys. I like it. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, I, I, I have a capture of that. I should send it to you. I, I Yeah, it's it's good stuff. And, you know, there's just things where just, like, ridiculous amounts of stuff blow up, you know, where you, like, you, you like, throw a solar flare and it just shows, like, the whole area exploding. Yeah, it's it's very Dragon Ball Z-esque. It's it's a lot of fun. Those are those are particularly fun. But, yeah, it's a, it's a good game. I don't I don't want to spoil it for anybody at any time because it's 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 if you like Dragon Quest games, man, you, you can't go wrong. I, I will say this. How about this? It's it's a reboot of like the whole show. So they're pulling a lot of references from every Dragon Quest game ever and they're jamming them into this game. But if you've haven't played all of them cuz I certainly haven't actually, you know, you'll get what's going on. It's just, you know, the the references are just easter eggs, you know. It's like, "Oh, that's the thing from this game." And, "Oh, that's the the MacGuffin from that game." But it's it's not like 
you, you won't not get what's going on if you haven't played it, all of them because I they're channeling three and eight and I've never played eight. Like a lot of stuff from eight keeps coming up. Like I kind of like recognize it because I've read about it, but I, I don't know the context of all that stuff. But yeah, oh my God, it's so much fun. Oh my gosh. And Silvando. Oh, that man. He's magnificent. He's one of your party members and he's he's a knight and he's just amazing. I should show you the armor I have on him currently. It's great. Although you've seen it. You saw that screenshot. I'm still wearing that armor. Are you? Yeah, it's really good. It's really good. He's like a he's like a he's like a bard. And that that armor raises his uh, his charm or his charisma or whatever really high and it makes uh it makes his charm abilities work really good. I mean, look, it it sounds good, but I mean, let's face it. It's no California games. <laughs> what? Yeah, I just pulled an Epic's title from 1987 out. Do you feel proud of yourself? A little bit. I don't know where it came from. Like, it, all of a sudden, you were talking, and then Image of California games popped into my head. Do you remember it? I used to be really good at the hacky sack game. Yeah. I'm showering in this. It feels so good. All that warmth. So hear that, but imagine me as Shia LaBeouf. Just with that actual cannibal Shia LaBeouf. Yes, yeah, that look, <laughs> that look directed right at you. <laughs> oh man, don't be upset. You know, it was it was a mere five years till we got California Games too. Just saying. Do you remember Epics? No, I don't. That was the the company that put all that stuff out. They were so bad. Yeah. I mean, they, they made I remember good games California the time, Games. Didn't like, they have like none surfing? Of those, none of those uh, lasted. What wasn't wasn't there surfing in that? Uh, like, in California games? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I played that. I rented that from my local Albertsons. I remember that. I'm pretty sure they were surfing. Maybe that was California games, too. Hold I don't on. know. I'm, I'm, yeah, it had surfing. It had surfing. And this a half is, pipe. This is That's great. right. It had the half pipe uh, and the hacky had sack. The, and yeah, yeah, hacky sack, hacky sack. Good times. I remember and that. roller game. skating. They called yeah. it footbag, if I recall correctly. <laughs> like you would. Anyway, don't steal my thunder. Dragon Quest Eleven. It's amazing. It's it's really fun. If you like turn-based RPGs that have kind of deep combat, if you want to go there, uh, play it. It's also really easy. So if you want to make it harder on yourself by self-imposing limitations, like, yeah, do that. Like, I, I the game is getting too easy, so now I don't buy gear anymore. I just craft it. And it's gotten really hard because of that. It's gotten real, real hard. So anyway, that's what I've been doing. Jonathan, ask me how many hours I put into that game already. Oh, God, I'm terrified to know. Is it over? Okay, when did it come out? Tuesday. Last tu- oh, last Monday at 9 o'clock. It came okay. out midnight, you know, New York so time. So it's been a week at this point. Basically, yeah. It'll be a week in, in two hours, yeah. Did you fu- put Did you put a full uh, full uh, work weekend? Did you do your 40 hours? Yes. Did you get in some overtime? Yes. How much overtime? 18 hours of overtime. What? <laughs> Robert. Yes, if we stop playing right now, I can hit the legal limit. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. I mean, is your button numb? No. No, everything's very pleasant. Everything's great. It's so much fun. Are you still married? Yeah, no. So we do oh, that Dragon Quest podcast, me. you know? Jessica would kill me. I know Jessica would kill you, but I was smart and like set this all up months ago where I talked my wife into doing a Dragon Quest podcast. So she played three of the games on the pad. And so when I'm sitting there fighting, my wife gets tickled pink. And she's like, oh, I remember fighting those. Those are out by Rimbledar in Dragon Quest 3. And I'm like, yes, they are. It's cool that they're in 3D now, wife, aren't they? And she's like, yeah, that is really cool. And I'm like, yes, good, good. 
I, I planned well. I planned very well, very far in advance to make sure I would not lose too much wife faction with this game. And it's great because my wife actually likes watching me play it because she's played enough Dragon Quest games that she likes see a MacGuffin. She's like, oh, those are the orbs, like the orbs from three. And I'm like, yes, they are. Good times. Good, good on you, man. Good on you. I, yeah, mama didn't raise no fool. Hi, Gina. <laughs> Is she really here or did she? No, but she'll hear this. She listens to the, the podcast. She'll hear this part. And the best part is uh, my buddy, uh, who's uh, renting a room from us right now, he, he's kind of a hater. And uh, he was watching me play the game. And uh, you know what I caught him doing on his phone today? What's that? Playing Dragon Quest V on his phone. Oh, how dare he? <laughs> it's infesting the house with Dragon Questiness. Oh. <laughs> yes. Good. I'll be mm. leading the California Games Revival in the meantime. All right, moving onward. All right, I got the list open, man. Let's do this uh, this board gaming. All right, so um, I don't think we're going to do much to the list, one way or the other. Okay. A little bit slow uh, last couple weeks, but uh, still managed to get a couple game nights in. Okay. Uh, one was we had a very large group of people. We had like seven, six or seven people in. So mm-hmm. we played a lot of bigger games. So we played some Seven Wonders mm-hmm. and some Secret Hitler. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of neat because when you get Secret Hitler into those larger player numbers, the rules change a little bit. Oh, how so? There's some different rules about who knows who who is. So at lower player counts, the fascists will know who um, all the fascists will know who they are. So basically, like the any anybody who's a fascist and anybody who's Hitler make eye contact with each other, and so you get a lo- you know a, a relatively large group of people working together in secret. But in the larger player counts, the two fascists will know who they are, and uh, Hitler will know that he's Hitler, obviously, but um, only the fascists will know who Hitler is. Hitler will not know who the fascists are. So he doesn't know who his, uh, who his allies are, mm, mm, mm. which kind of changes the dynamic of it. It's, it's really interesting. That sounds a lot more fun, because then there's yeah. kind of like two and a half factions, basically. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. It really, it, it it puts a spin on it. It was it was interesting. I really enjoyed it. Cool. Seven Wonders continues to be awesome every time you play it, and it works so, so well with a large group like that. That's another game where the dynamic really changes because uh, when you have that large group, the um, the resources get spread out so much more. Yeah, well, and there's people who you like your neighbors don't have any influence over on the other side of the table, which is really weird. Like in yeah. a smaller game, your neighbors might be messing with people that you can't mess with at all. But yeah, like in a seven, six, seven player game, there's people across the table from you that your side of the table just they're they're off on their own. Yeah, it just it really it, it's a different dynamic it, it, um, than when you play it with a smaller group. And then we also played some custom heroes, which we've talked about on the show before. That's always fun. That's a, that's a really fun way to close out the night. It's not particularly deep. It's a good little trick taking game. It gets pretty ridiculous pretty quick. Um, I think all of us now are, are in agreement that we wish that there were more points in the rule set, so we've started adding more points to make the game last a little bit longer, because it can be over in two rounds, which mm. is just too quick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Played some Century uh, Silk Road, but I played the Gollum edition, which is the same game with different art. Played some Massive Darkness. Actually played a lot of Massive Darkness. Oh, nice. Did you like start a campaign or a little mini campaign or something? Well, I wanted to see if Dale was going to like it, so Dale and I played uh, a mission together, and he really liked it. So I think that we are going to try and squeeze a campaign in. 
Oh, nice. I, I approve. I'd forgotten how much fun that game was. It, it, it does some stuff that's different from, you know, it's different enough from Zombicide to make it its own thing. I gotta say, like, the more I play it, the more I prefer it. I would completely agree with that sentiment. Although a big, a big part of that for me is just I'm, I'm, I love fantasy so much. And then we also had an opportunity to play some Bob Ross. Happy Little Accidents. Nice. Nice. How'd that work oh, out? Oh, man. It's just like when I was at Gen Con. It ends up being the talking point of the evening. <laughs> because everybody's laughing. Everybody's looking at their, their ridiculous drawings. It's just, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure every time. It's not something you're going to play every day. But it's not meant to be. That would be Bob Ross Art of Chill. I could play that every day. Yeah, I could too. That's a good game. Straight up. Like, easy. Yes. Yeah. I'm in. That game's perfect for the, the kind of like, let's chat, let's have some fun, let's, let's, let's have some chill, everybody. Let's, let's paint some happy little trees and we'll just get this game night started good. You know? Happy, happy trees. Absolutely. Just spend a half hour painting with Bob. That never gets old. Never. Nope. But, you, know what, uh, you know what I saw? They, there was a restock at Target. They must have done another print run because they're back all of a sudden at all the Targets around here. Go get you some. Yeah, go get some, please. It's a great game. Absolutely. You, you Cannot know, recommend it highly enough. I find it so hard when I'm at Target, because every time I go to Target and that game's out somewhere, because sometimes they put it on end caps, I'll be walking by and I'll hear people talking about that game. And I really don't want to be that creepy guy who's just walking by and says, no, you should buy that game. It's great. It's a really fun game. You know you want to buy it. But I like so want to, but I don't want to be that guy but I want to be that guy. So far, I am uh, one in three of uh, not being that that guy. I, I failed my check once and, and started gushing about it. Yeah, they looked at I, me. I can't say enough good things about it. Like Both no, of the Bob Ross games have just been such a pleasant surprise in, yeah. in all the right ways. I mean, I just they're, they're so good. They're just plain so good. Is that it? I don't know. You're, you're the one telling me your board games, man. Yeah, that's it, man. That's all I got. So, as of today, you have added and removed nothing! You have to admit, I've made remarkable progress. You know, I can't remember the terms of uh, the original bet. I can't either. You're going to have to go back and research them. Well, I, I will. I don't care. I'll do it when we're, we're about to do that episode, because it's, it's pointless to do it before that. So, I, I don't know if I should be scared or not, but the list is definitely smaller. But the games you got left, the games you got left, sir. Yeah, yeah I got some toughies left, man. Like yeah, I got to squeeze in a game of TI4. That's going to be rough. Yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh. That's, 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 a, a, that's a, a basically a day. I got to get a day. And then I got to get a couple other people that also have a day. And that's the problem. All I know is parents. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Darn kids. Darn kids. Ruining everything. Stealing all our time, youth, and money. Oh, yeah. So much of the money. And that brings us to the end of our off-the-shelf segment. As always, we want to know what you've had off the shelf. We've seen some great people posting on the uh, Facebook group about it. I always love to see what other people are playing. Uh, we're having a great conversation on there about raids, which was cool. L- I'm really enjoying that game. I'm going to try and get that out when you're here because that's a, a quick one, and it's Takedo with aggression. Gentle listener, I double-dog dare you to post what you've been playing on our Facebook uh, fan group. I like where this is going. Double dog dare. That may be a breach of protocol in the dare hierarchy, but now you cannot say no. So now it's time. You, gentle listener, have been served. I dropped the mic, but it's attached to a mic stand, so that doesn't really work. Yeah, because we don't really hold them. No. We can't really 
drop it. It's just kind of stuck there in midair. I suppose I could like unscrew it and then it would oh, kind of flop just, over. So much work. Just yeah, I, 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 I did right. get it. I, yeah, I did get it pretty yeah, tight. I'm just going to drop this phone right here. There you go. Oh, wow. Oh, do I have anything I can drop? Oh, yeah, I'm going to drop my phone. But you probably couldn't hear it because there's, there's carpeting in this room. It's pretty sore, sound absorbent. <laughs> well done. All right, we'll be back after a short break uh, with our Wisdom of Crowds segment. Robert, I got to tell you, I got some uh, cute little news bites for you. Somebody play Dragon Quest Eleven with me, please. 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 I'll love you forever. What is it available on? PS4 and Steam. And you're playing it on the 4? I am playing it on the 4, but there's no multiplayer, so it doesn't matter. You can play it on uh, PC all you want. All right, I'll see what I can do. We'll see what I can do. Let me yeah. see if it goes on sale. I doubt it. but uh, Black Friday, maybe. Oh, hey, that's coming right up. Yeah, it's coming up pretty soon. Let me. Uh, you know what? Uh, I will put it on my wish list. There you go. Do it right now. Do it! <laughs> all right, we will be back after a short break. Did you just say we'll be rack after a short break? I don't know. I'm so tired. (laughs) Do you have a tabletop, board game, miniature game, or RPG that you're going to release for retail? Or do you have an upcoming tabletop Kickstarter that you're about to launch? We would love to interview you for a future episode of the Forgot My Dice podcast. Send us an email to fmdpodcast2016 at gmail.com to schedule an interview. And welcome back. It is now, of course, time for our Wisdom of Crowd segment. This is our bi-weekly tabletop news segment. Robert, why don't you get us started with some more D&D? Wizards has announced D&D Dungeon Mayhem. It is a card game where you pick one of four characters. Sutha, the barbarian skull crusher. Leah, the radiant paladin. Orax, Orlax, the rogue cleaver. Or Azan, the mystic wizard. And your objective is to bring home the biggest share of treasure in the dungeon. Each character has a unique deck with special power cards. It's designed to be a 15-minute quick game. And it's designed by Jordan Cromar and Roscoe Whitlofer and illustrated by Kyle Farron. And the box has four 28-card decks, hit point trackers, symbol cards, damage tokens, two to four players, 15 bucks. Yeah, that's not bad. No, no. It's one of those, you know, wet your whistle games. Probably good for the kids, I would assume. Hey, you know, if it gives people an entrance into the world, then I'm all for it. it I think that's great. Exactly. Exactly. Now, there is an advertisement on the article that you linked to for uh, Bob's Burgers Clue, and I'm kind of interested in that now, too. <laughs> I just saw that. Uh, I'm totally all about that. I think that that's fabulous. Clue's one of those games that actually uh, ages okay. Like, it, it's it's not a bad game. Oh, the, the murder weapons are Burger Phone, Spatula, Horselian? I don't even, that's probably a reference to the show. Wine Bottle, some sort of stuffed animal, and Gene's Keyboard. that's awesome well there you go twofer twofer bring it jonathan what do you got next all right well let's start off with uh something we mentioned earlier in the podcast we are getting more monster apocalypse oh yeah oh i'm totally stoked so we're getting two more uh factions essentially being added to the world the martian menace and the pterosaurs pterosaurs aka the giant fire breathing lizards 
totally not Godzilla. Totally not Godzilla's and Rodan's and all that. In, in the original game, there were it looked like uh, three or four big lizards. Um, two of them were kind of Godzilla esque, I, I would say. Then there was sort of a flying pterodon, and there was kind of a walking triceratops thing. So I don't know if we're going to get all those in the new. Yeah, version. that guy was cool looking. I really liked him. Hopefully we'll get the pterodon, but for sure we're getting some of the little ground units and the thing that totally is not Godzilla, but, you know, put some spikes on his back and he'll totally look like Godzilla just fine. Well, we're getting uh, basically three sets from each faction. Uh, so the Martian Menace will get... Um... Oh, the Martian Menace is rad. They're, they're the big UFOs, and then the way that they're, like, flying is, like, the light that's coming out of the bottom of them or the whooshy, like tractor beam or whatever that that's kind of the thing they're flying on in the original minis in the original game those were like clear plastic bits which was really cool well it's uh these kits are all going to be resin and the martian menace one the the main mothership is actually resin and metal Ooh, it's interesting that they're uh they're doing things that way Uh, it must they must need that extra reinforcement that extra strength they can make it out of used bubble gum i'd be happy with it it's a godzilla well, this puts us up to six factions on uh, Monster Apocalypse because you've got the Destroyers, the Protectors, the Shadow Sun Syndicate, the Lords of Cthulhu that are totally not Cthulhu. Totally not Cthulhu. The Pterosaurs and the Martian Menace. That's that's a good healthy amount of factions for, uh, for a minis game. Yeah, that's the six original factions from the miniatures game. It'll be interesting to see if they, they do the, the same thing because in the original game they brought out the six factions and then they brought out uh, booster sets that added in more critters into all of the factions. And then after they did two or three sets of that, they introduced six new factions and released stuff for them. I wonder if we'll get the uh, the new factions in eventually as well, because one of them were giant apes. That is cool. Not at all King Kong. Not at, no, not. Not. <laughs> not. Totally not. Totally not. Speaking of Privateer Press, they announced today, and this is, I guess, a sign of the times, that uh, No Quarter Prime as a physical magazine is going away. I'm surprised it took this long, I gotta tell you. And not because it's not a fine magazine. I, I actually quite enjoy it. I just, you know, they, they were the first to jump into the digital cards. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, it just seems like a, a, an appropriate move. I think that's great. Yeah, I, I don't know if they're going to have an app where they're going to, like, release stuff or, or if they're going to do, like, what Wizards does with Dragon Plus and, you know, release an online magazine every month. I'm not sure... They haven't said what the plan is. They say they've got one, <laughs> but uh, what shape that'll take. I mean, I'm assuming, because I think they've got one issue left that they're going to do, and then they're going to probably say what they're going to do after that. But yeah, yeah, I, I don't know. I guess as uh, Egon Spangler once said, print is dead. I mean, I think that's the only major gaming physical magazine left is White Dwarf at this point. I can't think of any others a- anymore. I can't think of any for sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, White Dwarf is definitely still around. And I got to tell you, whenever I walk into a game store and I just see it sitting on a counter, I mean, A, my first impulse is always to pick it up, which I think is cool, because it, it reminds me so much of, of you know, all, all of my misspent youth. Well, you know, it's funny. If you look at the digital version of of White Dwarf, like some of the photos in there, they'll have like the 360 views because they'll like link to their own website and stuff. And they'll they'll look at the, the 360 view of the model from their website. It's pretty cool, actually. Yeah, those are cool. I love those. Those are so neat. See? The future, my friend. The future. Physical magazines are just kind of going away slowly. It's weird. You know, I still love reading them, though. Like, I I just... There's something about physical media that I just prefer, and I always will. And I think that that's just a sign of my age. Yeah, maybe. Because that's what I grew up with. It could reverse. It could not. Maybe that's why I... I, As much as I love video gaming, I I will always... You know, prefer board gaming. I think it's because of the physicality of it. That's why it kind of makes sense that I would like the magazine too. 
as for the future of magazines and whatnot, I remember people saying that RPGs and board games are going to be dead because video games are superior and will replace them. And, you know, look where we are now. Like, Man, look at how that backfired on them. Well, I don't think it backfired. Video gaming is like a several billion dollar industry and is the biggest entertainment anything ever. But board games definitely did not die. <laughs> no, no. In fact, they're growing. Yeah, they're growing. yeah. Yeah, they had a crazy resurgence. I guess uh, learn the lesson that Sean Connery did in the mid-1980s and never say never again. Oh, oh no. Really, never, he should have said never. Never say never. Never. Oh, never that say never. That movie is rough in every way. There's nothing going on there that, that is worth salvaging. Now playing for global domination. <laughs> As you see, your side takes losses, so too do you feel pain. <laughs> Stop. Stop. <laughs> Moving right along. <laughs> How do you feel about some more pandemic, Robert? Real life pandemic or the board game? Because I got to say, I would not the board like. Game. The board oh, game. Yeah, real oh, life I pandemic, th- not so much. Not so much. Uh, board game, yeah. Yes. Hit me. Because we're getting some more pandemic. Uh, they have announced Pandemic Fall of Rome. So in this, an invasion of barbarian tribes is uh, has become a pandemic to the Roman world, and <laughs> oh, <laughs> instead of viruses, it's barbarians. That's amazing. <laughs> I mean, like, hey, go check out the cover art for this. I'm totally into this. I'm, I'm totally buying this. <laughs> oh my god, it looks. Oh, what it's channeling like Rome, like that HBO show. Oh, that's amazing. I love it. Yeah, this looks awesome. Barbarians are the virus. Yes. You know what mashup we need? What's that? Hear, hear me out. Pandemic the Matrix. You're curing Agent Smiths. <laughs> no, Pandemic Fall of Rome looks awesome. So basically, the instead of viruses, you've got these you know mu- multiple different barbarian tribes that are trying to invade Rome, and you are trying to protect Rome. That is amazing. I love it. And man, how pretty is that cover art, by the way? Like, how beautiful is that? It's good cover art. I have, at this point, four different versions of Pandemic, and they've all been engaging. I would like to say, for the record, I was not laughing. I was laughing because it was perfect, (laughs) if that makes any sense. (laughs) No, it totally does. Yeah, it totally does. Because barbarians are basically a a, a plague. Yeah, yeah. I I, it from a certain point of view, from a certain point of view, barbarians are a plague. Yeah, so I totally forgot to mention this during uh, games I've played. I got uh, Jessica and my sister to play Pandemic with me, and they had a good time. And we totally beat the virus on the first time out. Granted, we were playing on easy, but still, it was great. It was fantastic. It's beginner's luck. Have you tried it again? No, because I don't want to die, because Pandemic hates us. Yeah, I uh, every time I teach that game, we beat it kind of handedly and people are like why is that game so hard i'm like if you think it's easy try again and then the board utterly curb stomps you yeah it's about right yeah it's that game has i don't know how they designed it to have that much beginner's luck but they do i it's some sort of magic that they've figured out it's amazing to watch though it's amazing to watch cocky people who think they've done it right the first time try it again and just get wrecked and watch the light fade out of them that's that's worth it (laughs) so true (laughs) <laughs> now i've talked about it before on the show but you know i love me some potion explosion right yes well we are getting potion explosion second edition this year Ooh. yes and uh some uh, uh some more expansions we're getting potion explosion the sixth student 
Mm. So all the components you need for a six-player game of Potion Explosion. Now, Potion Explosion is fun. Super, super fun. I love this game. What I remember about it is it sounds fun. And then I don't. Well, you've got all these else. marbles that come out of this uh, box, right? right? And, got, and the marbles, and yes, yes, yeah. They're, they're yes. the different ingredients that you need, and then everybody has random potion cards, okay. and you're trying to Bo- um, Bob's your uncle. I get remember. all the ingredients you need to make the potion. But much like Bejeweled, when you remove a marble, if two of the same color bang together, then you get to remove those as well. So you're trying to make these giant combos to suck down as many jewels as possible. Nice. All right, this is my this is my last story, but this one's exciting coming to kickstarter next week so probably right now in the future that this podcast will come out in the rpg kickstarter for things from the flood the sequel to tales from the loop will be firing up on kickstarter next monday so this monday right now go look for it Oh, really don't let me forget about that because i really really like me some uh tales from the loop i got i got good news the last stretch goal of tales from the loop if you got a physical book which i know both of us did is we will get a pdf of this so even if we both forget not a big deal we will get a pdf of this book yeah but now i want it to sit on the shelf next to it right 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 things from the flood it's based off of the second art book that the swedish guy did who i don't have his name in front of me because i didn't write that down it's basically set in a bleak alternate 1990s decade it's about teenagers with a much more mature tone. You can die in this game, which you cannot do in Tales from the Loop. If, if your character runs out of hit points, you just have to you know go home for a little bit. And uh, it is a full standalone game. So if you don't have Tales from the Loop, because you know playing Goonies-style kids didn't appeal to you, but playing you know angsty teenagers does, you can get this. It's its own thing. Or you can combine it with Tales from the Loop and get rules to upgrade your kids into teenagers. Oh, that's cool. I like that. Yeah. It, it, it lets you evolve your characters. I think that's great. Yep, yep, yep. Because the, if I remember correctly, the original Tales from the Loop, uh, I forget what age you could start at, but you could be as old as 15. But once you were 15, you couldn't you couldn't play anymore. Once you turn 16, your character retires. Well, now this will have rules for, I presume, 16 to 18. Which is great. I think that's fantastic. Yeah, it sounds really cool. And the, the cover art is uh, kind of creepy. And yeah, I, I am looking forward to this one. I Yeah, it should fire up next Monday. Man, you made my day. That is cool. <laughs> I know what I'm going to be back in next week. Yeah. Oh, I love Tales from the Loop. That was a great game. I need to play that. I actually need to play. It's, it's hard selling my group on that. I need to find a new group so I can play Tales from the Loop. Let's play it online. What? Let's play it online. Go on. We'll I don't talk. know what else there is to say. Let's play it online. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll talk. We'll talk. All right, Jonathan. So I, I'm out. I am. I'm spent. Well, then let me give you a couple quick bites. Well, you know we love uh, some Mansions of Madness, right? Yeah, yeah, we do. New DLC scenario uh, is available uh, on the app right now. I read it's about that. Altered Fates. Does it deal with my favorite MacGuffin of time travel? And it's a, a new mission in a new country, and you're going to work together to discover the truth behind a mysterious heirloom and return to your own time before it's too late it's about my favorite mcguffin time travel so there you go altered fates did you download this i have not had an opportunity to yet i just found out about it earlier in the week and i have not had a chance to grab my ipad and download it but because i am 100 percent on my mansions of madness it is inevitable it will be mine okay so do you you don't know the difficulty yet because i think Uh, it's three stars Ooh, okay. Not a good intro episode for Gina when we come by in two weeks. No, we really should play the first one with her. Now, did I tell you I played this with the kids? I played it, and, and 
Chloe won't stop asking about it. Nice. She was way into it. Like, way, way into it. I could see that out of her. Chloe Chloe yeah. likes her the horror. <laughs> yeah, she's my she's my little creepy monster child, so. Yeah, nice. And I say that in all the right ways. Oh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm hoping anyone turns out that way. Did, did I tell you what uh, Sophia's gotten into recently? Mm-mm. Jurassic Park. She's all about them dinosaurs. Nice. Nice. So we have to we have to kind of, you know, I know those movies pretty well, so we just remove certain scenes where people are getting ripped in half and whatnot. Kind of not so good for the little ones. But uh, beyond that, she just likes seeing the dinosaurs run around. So we're, we've been watching edited versions of the movies. Jonathan, congratulations. Fight that patriarchy. Fight it. No, I think it's great. Yeah. I, Whatever. If it makes him happy, go for it. Yeah. We, I, I let Eowyn watch Jurassic Park recently. The, the first one, the, the subsequent ones get a little bit darker and violenter. But the first one's not that bad. Like, Gennaro uh, gets eaten, but that's, like, probably the most gruesome death that happens on camera in that entire film. Yeah, and then there's the arm. The, the arm in the, from uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sam Jackson. Sam Jackson's arm. True that, true that. Stronghold Games has a couple of new announcements. Uh, we are getting Terraforming Mars Colonies. It's coming in October. It's an expansion for Terraforming Mars. And uh, expands the game playing world by adding new places to build colonies. I think we talked about this last time. Did we? I think. Well, we- we've got more. If we did, we've got a lot more information now because we actually have some some idea of what's going on in it. You can build colonies on distant moons, including the clouds of Jupiter. You can send your trade fleets to them to build your resources to support your terraforming operations on Mars. Okay. And it's got a bunch of stuff. 49 project cards, 5 corporation cards, 11 colony tiles, your trade fleets, and a bunch of new stuff. It's really expanding well beyond the the core game at this point. Do we know if it it works with Venus Next, too? I believe so, but it doesn't say directly in this uh, press release. Because I love games where you stack every expansion on top of itself and make the most crazy Uber game ever. <laughs> I, I agree. I'm all, I'm all in on that. Yeah. Well, they also uh, have a new game coming from Martin Wallace, and he, his games are always taking place in like the kookiest worlds. Mm-hmm. He has a game coming out called Australia. A-U-Z-T-R-A-L-I-A. A play off of Australia. Right. What's the kooky world? Hit me. It is a sequel, I think, based on this uh, press release here, to A Study in Emerald. Wait, the Cthulhu thing? Yeah. So, in A Study in Emerald, whoa, whoa, whoa. Um, they it's made, all based on a... They made a, they made a, a board game out of that book? <laughs> oh, did you not know that? No. <laughs> oh, yeah. Study in Emerald's great. I've got a copy. Actually, you know, reading this press release, I think they were just trying to be cute. There's no actual connection between the games. Oh, Okay. Well then, but um, basically, in Australia, it is uh, an alternate reality 1930s, and you are building ports, constructing railways, mines. You're um, doing farms for food, and you're basically um, doing action economy. You're because every action that you do costs you some time, and at some point during the game, oh no, it, I guess it is a sequel because the old ones are awakened and become uh, a player in the game, attacking player settlements. Hmm. So apparently, this takes place. 50 years after a study in Emerald and the old ones have retreated to Australia, <laughs> which actually makes perfect sense because that continent just wants to murder everybody on it. Yeah, it's true. Finally, Robert, by the time you hear this, it will be gone, but I'm sure because this is Simon, uh, that there will be late pledging available. Starcadia quest is on Kickstarter right now. Yeah. We already talked about that twice. 
I know, but now I have all the information, and it's awesome! Oh, oh, I get it. I get it. This isn't news, and I'm using air quotes. This is Jonathan's really excited about this game because he backed it. Look, man, I made the podcast for a reason. Part of that was so I could talk about the things I like, and I like this. Okay, I'm just, I am just setting the proper expectations to to our... It's news. Okay. Okay. I'll let you have it. First of all, it's awesome. This looks so cool. I'm really just excited. I think this is such a neat... It's a neat combination of the gameplay mechanics with a great theme that I think fits it really, really well. And I cannot wait to see this game on the table. I'm really stoked about this. I think this is fabulous. You're excited about Starcade? No. I am. No. And because it's CMON, of course, there's been a ton, ton of stretch goals. And these stretch goals are awesome. There's a totally not Marty McFly. There's a totally not Ripley. We get all the we get all the fun. Sorry, um, I, I'm I'm looking at totally not uh, what's his face. I, I, I totally not Marty. No, uh, we're all just memories, like tears in the rain. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah totally not the replicant. Yes. <laughs> and there's a total. This is awesome, awesome droid expansion that comes with. Um, it's basically six droids, but the, each of the droids comes in two different mix and match components. So you can match the different heads with the different bodies. Cute. I like it. Yeah. They've got a showdown expansion, which looks awesome. It's got totally not Sting from Dune. Oh, yeah. No, that's... Yeah. Okay. I mean, look at this. I mean, look at the critters, too. The critters look great. Everything about this looks super, super awesome. I mean, it's just... It's such a great marriage of um, the sci-fi theme to what is arguably one of the go-at-each-other games to come out in the last 10 years. It's just so much fun. I love me some arcade games. Oh, so my gosh. They've got a major Tom. Of course they do. Earth below us. Ground control Tom. Floating weightless. That's one of my favorite Bowie songs, too, actually. No, they have a totally not Genji right there. Yep, totally not. And look at all the stretch goal people. Don't they look good? <laughs> They've got a totally not blade. His name is Edge. <laughs> I, I, uh, I haven't even got. I just got to the stretch goals, like just now. Oh, they got a totally not Tron. Yeah, yeah. No, it's great. It's great. Everything about this is fantastic. I, I could not be happier. I think this is going to be fabulous. I'm totally, totally stoked. <laughs> totally not a Navi. <laughs> ah, totally not Spock. Yes, and a totally not a Cylon. Yeah, and the best thing is they're all chibied out, so it's just, it's so much fun. And a totally not Mal, and a totally not uh, Marvin the Robot. So there you go. There you go. Yeah, Ripley. I saw I saw Captain Mal, Captain Tight Pants. <laughs> Being how much I love Arcadia Quest, I think this is so cool. I'm really excited. I cannot wait. Whoa, really? You're excited? Yeah. You brought this up for like three podcasts in a row, and you're you're excited? Hey, we haven't even gotten to the pledge manager yet. Oh, God. All right. Fair enough. So prepare yourself, because there will be more. Yeah. I'll just, uh, I'll not prepare myself and just be disappointed again later. Fair enough. Fair enough. One last bit of news that I wanted to bring up. You know, we're big proponents of the FLGS here on the show. Word. Unfortunately, recently in Manhattan, Kansas, a game store called Goblin Games was destroyed in a flood on Labor Day. 
So Wildcat Creek uh, flooded rapidly and sent over six feet of mud and water into not just the store, so much more in the, in the community. But the FLGS is such a, a tenuous thing at best. Uh, so, so to see this happen to a, a local game store is always a little rough. If it's something you're interested in, you know, to each their own, choose your own thing. But uh, these guys seem like nice guys. They're trying to get their store put back together. They've got a GoFundMe going. So go check it out. We'll put the link on the site. They're not asking for a ton of money. And it will, uh, you know, kind of help that FLGS kind of survive. Well, that brings us to the end of our Wisdom of Crowds segment, which, of course, means it's time for our year in the life. This is when we look back at what we were playing last year and talking about. We have 365 seconds to talk about it again. And if we want to go longer... It means we need to take that sucker off the shelf. So, Robert, episode 23. Slammer in the beard. <laughs> Still our best pen names ever. <laughs> I was Slammer, right? Because you're the beard? Yes. Nice. Man, that, that never stuck. I'm a little upset about that. It's not too late. K game. Slammer on the beard. Slammer in the morning. Beard. Slammer. 10.06 here at KWOP. News and traffic at the top of every hour. <laughs> so a year ago we were playing Outlive, Jonathan. Ooh, so much goodness there, too. The thing I, I most fondly recall out of it is I was pretty sure I was getting myself into a zombie apocalypse game, and it wasn't. It was a, a Fallout survival game, and that was far more interesting. I was really, I was really pleased about that. Yeah, no, it, it does the whole apocalypse survival routine so, so well. That's something that it really capitalizes on because everybody that you add and everything that you add to your to your shelter has that cost of, of needing to maintain it. And it's the, the constant uh, push and pull between keeping your shelter well-fed and well-powered and getting new and interesting actions that you can bring to the game. Yeah, I really, I really enjoyed that game. I, I was... Very surprised at how much I enjoyed that game. I remember. Yeah, I remember that game's that. made it out a couple times over the past year, and I got to tell you, every time it's it's such a pleasure to play. Yeah, yeah, oh, I could totally see that. I could totally see that. So, is there any news on that game? Are they going to release an expansion or? Um, the people that made it, I think they they've either just had or are about to have another Kickstarter. Oh, okay. Look at on them. Let me, let me go look. Hold on. Okay. Yeah, they had a game earlier this year called Netatanka. And that looked awesome, too. And I totally missed out on it. And I'm kind of kicking myself now. Well, I, I could have told you you're terrible. Well, that's fair. Yes, I totally am. Again, Outlive, if you recall, is just it, it's basically a Euro game with a fantastic theme. And it actually brings it all together into a real, just well-put-together package of everything, really. Go get it. Go play it. It was quite good. Quite good. Yeah, I can't say enough stuff, nice stuff about it. It's just so good. It's just it, it plays real easy, super easy to learn and teach. Great, beautiful components. It's just it's a gorgeous game on the table. They nailed it. They nailed it in every way. Enough said. I dropped my phone again, but you couldn't hear it on the carpet. <laughs> I, I I gotta be honest with you. When you're out here, I totally wouldn't mind getting that on the table. <laughs> no new games. There's enough new uh, games. I know, but. It's so good. Yeah. No, the only old one I'm I'm willing to play is Mansions of Madness if we can get the wife in on it and not play that intro scenario again. I hate that intro. I'll tell scenario. you what, man. If, uh, on the, if we're doing it on day close around, she'll she'll hop in. Nice. And with that, that brings us to the end of our Wisdom of Crowd segment. As always, if you have anything that you'd like us to know about, 
reach out to any of our digital domains. We'll be more than happy to cover it. And other than that, Robert, anything else? Next up is Plane Shift Dominaria as our deep dive. So we'll be back after a short break. We love getting feedback, so please let us know how we're doing by doing one of the following. You can email us at fmdpodcast2016 at gmail.com. You can join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash group slash fmdpodcast. We also have Facebook comments enabled for all our posts at forgotmydice.com. You can also message us or tweet us on Twitter. Find us at Forgot My Dice. You can join us on Patreon, where we post outtakes and other bonus content. And if you like the show, the best way for more people to find out about us is to give Forgot My Dice a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or the Google Store. Lastly, for those of you who want control to sanction the podcast, pick up your shoe phone and call Agent 82. Chief, it's acceptable to get podcasts on our wristwatches. It won't be distracting. I, I just don't even know what's happening right now. Well, it's classified, Jonathan. I could tell you, but then I'd have to kill you. Oh, we've got to get these things upgraded from the 1960s. And welcome back. It is now, of course, time for our deep dive. And in today's episode, we are deep diving yet another plane shift. This time, Dominaria. Step aboard the legendary airship Weatherlight and explore Dominaria, an ancient world whose stories are known throughout the multiverse. Where other worlds have only had one apocalypse, Dominaria has survived several and emerged into a time of rebirth and renewal. From the lush forest of Lanoir to the frozen expanse of Keld, the lands of the domains teem with intrigue, exploration, and war. Orcs and kobolds raid Belenish farms. Dissident factions of Keldians plan war in defiance of their elders, and the sinister cabal worms its way into the fabric of society. The seven great houses of Benalia and the Elfhames of Lanawar try to maintain stability and order. The Church of Sarah seeks to cultivate art and virtue, and the Tolarian Academies pursue an ever-deep understanding of the science of magic. Starting with the huge swath of geography and history described in the art of Magic the Gathering Dominaria, this supplement zooms into the continent of Aronia and its environs to present a setting for your Dungeons & Dragons games. Whether Dominaria is new to you or as familiar as an old friend, you'll find enough lore and legends to make you feel at home. <laughs> so, of course, if you've not heard us do cover one of these before, this is, of course, basically a D&D expansion that takes place in the Magic Universe. Just to kind of cover the basics of it, Robert, how often is it that we get a new, essentially, Magic Plane? They do two a year. Sometimes they go back to a plane like Dominaria. Well, they haven't been back to Dominaria in a long time. And then so, and then sometimes they create new planes. So, yeah, but, but they these coincide with the release of an art book. And, yeah, we get one about twice a year. There you go. Let's talk about Dominaria. What makes Dominaria special compared to all the other magic planes? Well, like I said, they <laughs> they came back here for the first time in about 10 years. Dominaria was the setting that they just sort of decided everything happened in. So like magic, when it was, you know, created, you know, they had a lot of, a lot of random fantasy nonsense. And at some point they just kind of said all of this happened on Dominaria and they tried to like rectify that. (laughs) So yeah, it means like uh, old sets like antiquities and Arabian nights and the dark and all of that, that all happened in Dominaria. So what I like about the setting, uh, and especially even after reading the art book, is Dominaria has a psychotic amount of lore. Because yeah. this is definitely um, the thickest of the expansions that we've seen. Yeah, exactly. And it's because in the magic setting, 
the story of uh, the Planeswalking brothers Urza and Mishra uh, having their battle where one killed the other. You know, that's kind of where the lore begins. That's sort of the, the, the base point. But that happened, I think, in basically like year zero of the setting. And now we're at the year 4,500 and change. And there has been stuff that has been happening there. And when I when I said in the little blurb that uh, Dominaria has survived several apocalypses, I was not kidding. I, I think my count is uh, five to six or five and a half. Uh, yeah, a lot of apocalypses, a lot of How lore, a lot half of, of an apocalypse. Well, okay, so the first one was the, the first Phyrexian War, or the Antiquities War. The second one was when Urza and Mishra battled each other, and the consequence of that was they created an artificial magical ice age, which was their third apocalypse, because they merely blew up the continent they were on when they were battling, but the ice age kind of took out everything else. And then somebody fixed the ice age and got rid of the magical ice age, but the problem was all the ice melted and the oceans rose, so there was a lot. there was a period called the Flood, <laughs> or you know, or the thaw where the ice age ended, and a whole bunch of stuff that you know in the the con- in the the equator, which you know wasn't bad with the ice age. A lot of it flooded because the sea levels rose. So that's like the half. <laughs> All right, there you go. If you ever need a half of half of an apocalypse, now you know how to define it. Yeah, because the ice age began, and then two thousand years later, somebody fixed it. So yeah, it, it, there was enough period of time that societies built up along the new coastline, and then they got flooded out. That was nice that somebody took the time to fix it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't want to just leave an apocalypse lying around. That's right. The next apocalypse was the big one, story-wise. It was the Phyrexian invasion, which, if you've ever heard of magic sets, like, you know, invasion and apocalypse, <laughs> those those were all part of that storyline. And that ended, and then they did, uh, uh, two, three hundred years later in the timeline, they did the Time Spiral Crisis, which, if you've ever heard of the magic sets, Time Spiral, that's directly what they're referring to. And then storyline-wise, this takes place 60 years after the Time Spiral set happened. And Time Spiral was bad because basically all of the other apocalypses messed up time and space on Dominaria, and these time rifts opened up. And during the Time Spiral crisis, like there was some sort of tipping point where rifts were opening and it was going to destroy the world. And uh, things were coming out of the rifts from the past and the future and alternate timelines. Uh, that, that was the set where they toyed around with the idea of making purple mana from an alternate universe just for fun. But then they realized they'd have to balance the game around that forever. <laughs> so they decided not to. But, you know, they, they, they did a lot of weird stuff during that, that block. Where it stands, Dominaria has a very, very old history and a lot of apocalypses. And there's a lot of stuff lying around still from all of that, that stuff. That happened, you know, like especially the Frixian invasion. There's a lot of like dead Frixian stuff just around. Yeah. And what makes the setting interesting is 60 years from the Time Spiral Crisis, during the the Time Spirals were draining mana out of uh, Dominaria, so it got kind of deserty and Mad Max apocalypse style. You know, things were drying out and dying. And then when they fixed the Time Spirals. All of the mana came back very suddenly, and all of a sudden the forest like went you know crazy, and everything came became lush, and all of the problems people were having feeding themselves and getting clean water and, and all of that jazz fixed itself like literally overnight. So you've had this period of sixty years where things have been really good, like you know uh, like the weather got fixed, everything got fixed, like all of a sudden the environment got perfect. The, the the setting where it's at is all these countries are rebuilding and they're looking to what they were in the past to try to build their future. You know, so the kingdom of uh, Benelia is, you know, seeing what it used to be and trying to regain its old territories and, and become like the, the Benelia of old and, and all of that. So it's a really fun setting. I, I 
I, I, I've been talking to you about it uh, via text for a while and uh, gushing about it. But yeah, and the art, the art's gorgeous. Oh man, yeah. <laughs> I mean, always with the Magic games, but man, they really just pulled out all the stops on this one. Yeah, yeah. Benelia is the country. If you if you t- heard us talk about the stained glass knights, that's Benelia. That's their thing. They make magical stained glass that they make armor and weapons out of. So you've got these like really colorful bits in their armor that glow that just look really rad. Looking through the Plane Shift Dominaria book here, and of course that is a PDF that is readily available on the Wizard of the Coast site. And and the DMs Guild. You can you can get it for free off the DMs Guild as well. What is our main focus here? Because I, I see a lot more history than I'm used to seeing in one of these plane shifts. Dominaria, the world itself, is roughly four times the size of Earth, and it's got continents and, and a whole bunch of craziness. And this plane shift says, and, he, and even the art book, the art book didn't cover everything. Like, there's the the Dominaria Africa, basically, called Jamara, and they, they just, they that didn't even get covered at all. They just kind of said it was there. This plane shift focuses on is what most of the, the Dominaria set focuses on, which is the continent of uh, Aronia. And Arona is basically, you know, kind of ye typical high fantasy medieval Europe of the setting. But yeah, like uh, stuff that was in the book, like the continent of Shiv and Uborg and uh, Yavamaya, they they don't even touch on that in this. It's just, you know, the the stuff that's just all around Aronia. Inside, they cover, again, that kingdom we talked about, Benelia, which is your your typical D&D kingdom full of knights and Knights in shining armor or knights in stained glass armor, I guess. Yeah, and these are some pretty pretty by the book classes here. You got clerics, fighters, paladins, rangers. Yeah, the the unique spin on it is uh, during one of the mini apocalypses, uh, one of the dominarian races called Avon, which are birdmen, uh, they lost their homeland, and so large groups of them started moving around the earth, and a big chunk of them settled, and so they've kind of integrated themselves into the kingdom. So you've got knights in charming ar- armor or knights in shining stained glass armor and birdmen. Because that's fun. <laughs> Who doesn't like Birdmen? And these are actually super awesome Birdmen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They have good stats too. They're really fun. The PDF then shifts focus to the Church of Sarah, which, uh, if you remember your classic magic stuff like Sarah Angels, that's the reference. Sarah was a planeswalker who died and uh, now is worshipped as a god. Uh, so they they tell you about the church. They tell you about quests you can get with the church. They tell you you know D and D domains that you can get. And how to sort of build a Sarah worshiping character that's part of the church. What's fun about that church, I, I, they don't talk about it enough, is uh, Sarah, uh, the priests of Sarah, like building their temples actually in clouds. So if you go to a place that has a lot of Sarah temples, you'll actually see all these clouds around the city with the spires of the churches rising out of the clouds and not actually in the city itself. Yeah, I like the uh, the Sarah angels, basically Valkyries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're, and they're classic. They go all the way back to, I think, Alpha. I think they were in from the very, very beginning. They're they're an oldie but a goodie. Now, what about Talaria? So, Talarian Academies, uh, which... <laughs> that, that cat, man. <laughs> There's no way to describe this image. None whatsoever. <laughs> you really have to download the document and just, just scroll down to Talaria, and you'll know it when you see it. <laughs> it's just it's the cat the talarian academies are, are basically a, a series of wizard schools that exist around uh, the whole continent and there's one you know in aronia because of course there is uh think of it as hogwarts you know it's it's a school where you go to learn magic and the the best wizards come from those academies so if you make a character who is a talarian uh, graduate you're, you're basically saying i'm awesome that part of the the chapter mainly gives you how it gives you a little bit about how to create a character, but it talks about it more as like kind of a quest hub, like you know what sort of adventures you would run. It talks a little bit about the the factions that exist inside the uh, the academies. 
Uh, basically, there's uh, old school followers of Mishra who kind of believe in the Phyrexian style mutant cyborg critter alterations on bodies. So they make magical like eyes and sort of space magic Borg themselves out with magic stuff. It's it's weird, but. And I love the picture. I love the quintessential Tolarian Academy guy because he looks like a slightly chubby John Ralphio from Parks and Rec. <laughs> That's my favorite image. If, if you're wondering why I've had John Ralphio on the brain lately, it was because I picked that book up and I saw that image in glorious, you know, giant book format in front of me. And I'm like, "That's John Ralphio as a mage. That's amazing." Which led to a whole day of doing John Ralphio quotes about casting spells, which was really fun. All right, Jonathan, here we go to your favorite bit. Yeah, I was just going to say, let's talk about the merfolk. (laughs) Because these guys are awesome, and they look so good. Yeah, so merfolk in Dominaria, they don't have legs like most of the other merfolk in Magic, so you can't actually play one because you can't walk on land. That's a bummer, I guess. Sorry, Ariel. They they have some cool lore. It, again, it's basically how to use them as a as a quest giver. Part of the fluff I like is they mentioned that merfolk tails grow longer as they age, so you can tell how old a merfolk is by how long their oh, tail. That's kind of neat. I like that. That's a that's a neat little thing. Yeah, yeah, and it's fun to go through the art, and then you like look at a merfolk. It's like that's a young one. Ooh, that one must be real old. This chapter also introduces one of the few new monsters in the entire book, which is the homerids. Which just think lobster men. That's pretty much all you need to know about them. Their fluff is they live in the trenches in the deep cold waters, which are actually kind of rare in Dominaria. Dominaria seas are pretty shallow, so there aren't a lot of like really deep areas. But during the Ice Age, they came out because the seas got colder, so they were able to survive higher up. And there's a group of them now that have sort of learned how to survive in warmer waters, and they're becoming a problem for the merfolks. So that's why they tell you about them in there. So this is my favorite part of the book uh, coming up next. It's Belenzok's Cabal. You know how I feel about crustaceans. How do you feel about crustaceans? I don't like crustaceans. You don't like crustaceans? Because you forgot about the homerid. I did. I just talked about the homerids, the lobstermen. Oh, for some reason. That, you see, that's how much I hate crustaceans. They tuned it out. God, man, this is just terrifying. Look at it. It's like <laughs> sideways walking piece of... No. Shell on the outside, damn sea roach. No. <laughs> You're afraid of shellfish? I'm not afraid of them. I just dislike them intensely. Your legs are spikes. You walk sideways, your eyes are on stocks, and you wear your outside on your inside. Get out of here. Nobody wants you. <laughs> okay. Hey, Jonathan. No, I don't like them. I don't like them. You know, Lobsters, you know, you know, you know, you know what you need to do? I want you to go into your kitchen. I want you to sprinkle a little salt on you because you got you to gotta cut back on that spice a little bit. Dude, spicy. I've never liked them. I've never liked crabs. I've never liked lobsters. They just kind of freak me out. Like, like my, my tongue's burning right now, and I'm going to have a... I'm going to have an interesting poo tomorrow if, if you don't cut down on the spice, sir. You need to cut down on the spice. Spice must flow. <laughs> All right, so my favorite part of the book, uh, Belenzok's Cabal. So the Cabal are the big bads of this, uh, this set of Speaking magic. Speaking of the spice must flow, homegirl there looking straight out of Dune. Oh, yeah, the, the lady who looks like a Bene Gesserit. Yeah, from the, she looks the like a Bene Gesserit in every way, shape, and form. <laughs> spice must flow with her, that's for sure. So the, the Cabal is a cult, and uh, they're kind of, I, I, I like their, their fluff. Basically, instead of being all weird and culty and like, we're going to sacrifice people and you will join us, Bleh! let's twirl our mustaches. Uh, they've been trying to uh, take over all the, the countries of Dominaria from within, so they send cultists out to convert people, and then those people infiltrate the government and try to you know sway power centers to sort of become demon-worshipping occultists. And they're widely effective. They... Uh, 
the, the storyline of the setting is a lot of them sort of came out of the woodwork all of a sudden and uh, started really messing with a lot of the kingdoms and whatnot. And uh, interestingly enough, <laughs> at the end of the story of Dominaria, the demon uh, Benzelok, who is currently running the show of the Cabal, he gets killed by uh, Liliana. The Cabal kind of don't have a leader anymore. They don't have a, a, a figurehead that's giving them demonic power. I kind of wish they'd kind of gone both ways with it, talking about how you could play them before and after, but maybe they didn't want to talk about the future of the setting. But the thought of this sort of highly organized and highly structured group that's trying to influence politics and stuff, suddenly having their figurehead gone and, you know, scrambling to sort of find their own positions of power. I think that could honestly be a little bit more scary as, as a, as bad guys that could pop up from time to time, because, you know, they're more desperate. They're not following orders anymore, man. They're just doing their own thing. Oh, well, ne- next comes one of my favorite out of the book. Keld? Uh, basically, the, the Dominarian Vikings. Or Klingons. They're kind of both. <laughs> I mean, I'd be down with both. Got a Klingon Viking. Oof. The Klingons are basically Vikings. I know. I mean, think about like, it. Imagine a Klingon in a Viking longship. I, I think that straight up is how they work. But anyway, okay. No, uh, I mean, it totally is. But I'm just like yeah. putting the two <laughs> together in my head and it's making me happy. Unlike the crab. <laughs> Unlike the crab people, lobster people, sir, lobster people. Whatever. <laughs> wave a stick of butter at him like it's Leonard Part 6. <laughs> oh, my God. Really? Yeah. Man, what is with all these obscure references tonight? Leonard Part 6. Wow. I can't believe you actually. Okay. I, I shouldn't say. I actually watched that movie. His underarm missiles. I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't actually remembered that part until you said it. <laughs> So Keld is the uh, the country up north, and yeah, they're, they're basically the Vikings. They're tribes of barbarians. They're humans, but they have gray skin, and they're giants. So they're kind of filling that niche of half orcs because they get their own racials in this book. Yeah, they're 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 kind of badass, and they, they're kind of going through a tough time right now because they their current leader, whose grandfather was an elf, actually. So it's that lady with the pointed ears on page page not numbered. Yeah, I hate that they don't have numbers. Yeah, I know. It's 1 through 17. It's not that hard, people. Um, but that lady, she's the current leader. She's trying to get them organized and not just, you know, randomly pillaging like a Mongol horde. You know, they're, she's trying to get them a little bit more organized. And so there, there's kind of the two factions. There's the groups that are following her and, you know, gasp, starting to farm. And then there's the groups that are like, no, we must follow the old ways and go, you know, pillage. You can kind of have it both ways. You can have a you can have a character who's not you know not like I'm just going to murder everybody I see because you know you're following the new group, and then you can still have them as kind of scary big bads of the rampaging barbarians that can come out of the north. And they also have a lot of fire magic, which is fun because there's a lot of pictures of warriors like shooting fire, which I just love. And it fits D and D too because uh, one of the barbarian paths has kind of a fire element, so yeah. you can just totally refluff it that way. It's rad. Now we get elves in this one too. Yes, yeah, the Forest of Lanawar is also in Aronia, and yeah, it's your it's your standard issue D and D elf. This is by far the the most bu- by the numbers class. Yeah, I know, isn't it? <laughs> it, it? I mean, almost to the point of why bother? I think this plane shift of all of them is also the most unfocused, which I think is it's part of the same problem. Anyway, getting back to Lanawar. So just like uh, mermaid tails grow as they age, elf ears grow as they age. So if you see an elf with short ears, that means they're young. And if you see an elf with stupidly long ears, that means they're real, real old. The interesting bit of fluff is they, they have these the other new monsters in the book, the Kavu, which are on the very, very last page. The goddess Gaia that they worship. If By the way, if you ever seen like uh, any spell from Revise that says Gaia, yes, it's that Gaia. That's and and the Gaia by the way, worship. if you're curious about a Kavu, uh, that is a six, six-legged 
lion-sized tree lizard with teeth. During during the time spiral, they were getting rocked, and they prayed to Gaia, and all of a sudden, these giant lizards just crawled out of the Earth itself, and now they had lizards that they could ride and train and fight with, and that's where they came from. They just came out of the ground one day because their goddess granted them a boon, which is pretty cool. <laughs> I like that little bit of fluff. Yeah, all I'm asking for is a lottery ticket. <laughs> but yeah, each of these sections, they give you a section on how to like run an adventure using them, and you know, some of them, they tell you how to build characters where it's appropriate. It is what it is. I don't know about you looking through it, but yeah, my, my big complaint about it is it's, it's the most unfocused. Like it's the one that requires the art book by far the most to make any sense out of what's going on. Cause they, yeah. Yeah. Which is interesting too. Cause this also has by far the most history attached to it as well. Well, I mean, yeah, with all that, that, no, and I don't lore, mean referential. I mean, it's just the, the, the whole first part of the book being all setting. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's a good two pages talking about kind of a really broad overview of Dominario where they just try to give you a paragraph about stuff. And even then, it's really it feels really sparse. But again, you know, I mean, you don't even need the art book at this point because Dominaria is so big and so many magic settings. I mean, if you type in Magic the Gathering lore wiki, like there, there are two that I, I know of that come up. And you can read to your heart's content all of the insanity that is Dominaria because there is a ton. You know, there's the Weatherlight and the Legacy and the, the Mana Rig and, and just, yeah, there's, ins- there's insanity all over. And and you know what sucks, Jonathan? They they didn't even get to the the Shivian lava mancers. The lava mancers are amazing. I would like to see a lava mancer in this. Yeah, yeah, but Shiv is really far away from Aronia, so they just didn't cover it. And if you want to do it in D anD D, just make a monk pick the the elemental thing and just take all the fire abilities because that is pretty much straight exactly what they do. Yeah, they fight and they have fire damage. It's like yes, I have a magma sword. That is my fluff for how my whatever power works. It's easy enough. I mean, but that's the thing, too. Like, Dominaria is so close to D&D in general. Like, you don't need to explain it, you know? It, it's it's easy to find a class in the and, book. And that's, that's my my biggest issue with this particular uh, plane shift more than any of the others. It's, it's so close to the source material. There's really... It doesn't feel like you're exploring this whole new world. It could just be a new continent. Yeah, I could see that. I'd agree. Which, which is funny, because, you know, reading the Dominaria book... I played enough magic back in the day that a lot of the references they were making and whatnot like really took me back and I got really kind of nostalgic about it. But again, like even the art book was really unfocused. It's just it's a victim of its own plot creep, you know, because they could they could have easily done three or four books. I mean, they could there's enough sets that take place in Jamara alone. They could do a Jamara book and and cover and Jamara is huge. You know, there's like 50, or there's a bunch of kingdoms in there and big cities, and there's a big piece of the continent or an, an island off the coast just disappeared because someone tried to hide it from the Phryxians and accidentally unhinged it in time, and it's just gone now. Whoops. That is not the mistake you want on your annual review. <laughs> exactly. But that, I, again, it's the problem with Dominaria. There's just so much lore density there that they, they can't possibly cover it all in any book. It, it would take like, honestly, it would take like five of those art of magic books to cover Dominaria. It's just huge. It's I mean, that's saying something about the fluff, but still. Yeah. I know. What yeah. You mean. Yeah. Yeah. It's a little tough when it comes to a 17 page document. Exactly. I, but you're, you're right. I mean, ultimately with all that lore out there, it's a pity that you can't explore it because you are restricted to the 17 pages. And then what you do get does feel very close to the original material. Which is not to discount it at all, because it's still awesome. 
Yeah, no, Dominaria has a lot of really fun things that go on in it. And I see the art book, and I wish they'd gotten into it, but because the art book is so visual, and it's what's great about the, the art books in general, because they're so visual, they have these really co- kind of cool, like, story beats that they sort of, like, cook up to kind of give the artist something to do. And so they're talking about the country of Urborg, which is heavily associated with Black Mana. It's a swamp. It's where the Stronghold is, which is where the Frixians invaded, blah, blah, blah. I'm not going to bore you with the lore. But the Frixians all died. And so there's a lot of Frixian corpses hanging around Urborg and the Frixians were like mutant cyborg magic things. And so they talk about the people of Urborg, the people who live there, because there's a big human city there. It's a swamp. There's not like wood or anything to build your house out of. So a lot of Urb, the, the city is built out of the bones and the stuff left over from dead Frixians, you know, and they go out of their way to tell you just because the city's built out of bones of mutant metallic monsters from another dimension doesn't mean the people there don't have style. If someone's going to build a fence out of Frixian bones, they're going to go out of their way to go search the swamp to find bones that are all the same size. So their fence is even, or if they can't do that, they'll start high and go low, you know, but it talks about, yeah, it's like, damn it. They take the time to craft their city out of the bones of the mutant metallic magic monster things that came from another dimension you know and i'm like that's a really cool visual like that's just something you know it's a thing you could kind of throw into a campaign you know where you just mention how the city looks you know you could just mention they have style just because they make it out of dead stuff doesn't mean they don't have style and give an example and it's just like you know imagination fuel that was like a great thing in that book but it's dominaria is just so full of everything like that it's just you can't there's there's not enough time. There's not enough time, Jonathan, to cover it all. <laughs> Seventeen page book or one. Yeah. Book. Well, isn't that isn't that always the problem? Yeah. So yeah, I'm I'm, I'm kind of mixed. Like you know, for me, like Dominaria is really cool, and focusing it on Aronia because Aronia is probably the closest to D and D you'll get, so it's it's more accessible. It's probably a good idea, but again, it's just it. You're gonna have to do. I, I, even I'm saying you're gonna have to do a lot of reading on your own, even beyond the art book. That it's it's it is kind of daunting. But you know what? If you love the setting and if you want something with a twist, you know, I mean, stained glass knights and birdman, man. That's that's a little bit different than dwarves and you know halflings. <laughs> yeah, the birdmen are awesome. The Avon, right? Yeah, the Avon. Yeah, they're Another, super cool. And that's the thing, Dominaria. The dwarves have mostly died out. There aren't a lot left. Because all the various apocalypses have not been kind to them. So yeah, dwarfless, halflingless fantasy. You got your your elves, your birdmen, and your humans, and that's the big that's the big race. Oh, and and the Keld, because yeah, scary gray skinned human barbarians of the north, which are kind of awesome. You ask an interesting question here in the notes. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think this is a good thing to kind of round us out on. So Jonathan, what do you think with the uh, the Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica coming out in November, which is Plane Shift Ravnica for all intents and purposes? Uh, do you think this will be the end of the plane shifts? Do you think we're at, we're we're at journey's end right now? Do you think we're done? I certainly hope not, because I think this is a great way to pull new players in. I think this is a great way to cross populate between, uh, you know, magic player base and D and D player base. Well, you already see it. My my buddy who's really into magic, he was saying uh, there was kind of like a lull for you know between sets and big events and whatnot. Uh, but, you know, streamers need to stream. So what they started streaming was uh, they made a Ixalan adventure, you know, X marks the spot. And they started playing that on their magic stream because they had time to kill <laughs> between, you know, kind of at the end of the year when convention season winds down. And, yeah, you know, like the fact that magic player magic streamers are playing D&D on their streams to, you know, because it's a crossover product. I think that probably shows that it's a good idea, the very least. I mean, I, I certainly hope that they keep going with it because every single one of these has been super awesome. And I, I like the fact that they're free. It's a, it's a great way to, to go in. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe it's a combination of the two, you know? I don't know. I mean, well, I, I guess a lot of it will depend on how Plane Shift, Ra- or not Plane Shift Ravnica, but uh, the Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica goes in November. We will see. But if that's huge, we may this may be the end of it. They may stick James Wyatt on making, you know, books, you know, big, thick books for D&D out of the magic setting. Well, here's hoping. I mean, I guess worst case scenario, we'll just get more of these. And best case scenario, we'll get really thick and pretty books with new art. That'll be fun. There's not really a downside there. No, no. I think it's a win-win. The worst case scenario is still pretty awesome. <laughs> but yeah, isn't that weird to think about, Jonathan? This might be it. This might be the last plane shift we cover. Oh, man, like, I seriously. Because really it's been a, kind of a thing. It's part of the show. I know, right? I know. Journey's end, man. All, all good things. It's sad. We may be saying goodbye to this. This may be it. Or not. We'll find out. But yeah. It's interesting to think about. Well, that brings us to the end of our deep dive, which, of course, sadly, means that we're at the end of our episode. Mm-hmm. Feel free to jump in there anytime. Nah, man, you got this. All right, good times. Yeah, you're 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 on the nose and professional today. I, I just like hearing you talk. <laughs> so as we round out episode 47 of the Forgot My Dice podcast, once again, we ask, jump on all of our digital domains, come and talk to you. That's... Uh, for me, at least, that my favorite part of the interaction is, is getting a chance to talk to folks that, that listen and extend the conversation beyond just you and I chatting. I like hearing what you guys are doing. I like Ray. <laughs> this wasn't on our, our feed, but I, I mentioned on Facebook I've uh, been playing the Dragon Quest, and he's uh, asked me to keep him updated on how many Metal Slimes I've killed in my during my game. So I've been keeping him updated. And what are you up to? I'm currently at three, metals, three Metal Slimes, one Liquid Metal Slime, and then five vicious metal slimes. So nine, but they're slightly different monsters. Uh, it's a whole lot of slime. It is a whole lot of slime. Metal slimes. It's like mercury. It's probably poisonous. <laughs> well, on that bombshell. <laughs> as always, Robert, as we round out the episode, any final thoughts? It's nice that we uh, record this on a Monday. We haven't been able to do that in a while. Yeah, I know, <laughs> right? It feels odd. We recorded last one on Thursday, so it's only been nine days. I'm surprised this episode's gone as long as it has. That's why That's why it felt short, man. It's because we literally had less than two weeks. It was like nine days between recordings. <laughs> well, we ended up having plenty to talk about. True that. True that. Well, as always, as we round this out, and there's really only one thing left to do, Robert. Party on. Party on, Jonathan. The music you heard in this podcast was intro by Elithiel. Additional music was provided by Brian Winkleman. Funding for the Forgot My Dice podcast was provided by our supporters on Patreon. Thank you 